Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, a show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. So let's go back in time to when cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, Joe! Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host, Tim Nidell. Hey guys, welcome to a brand new episode of Saturday Morning Rewind. Of course, I am your host, Tim Nadell. Please follow me on Instagram and Twitter. It's at Saturday Rewind. And of course, I have my second account, so you guys need to follow. It's at Tim the Tune Man. It's all one word, both for Instagram and Twitter. First off, I want to wish everybody a happy Halloween. And I don't know about you guys, but for me as a kid especially, Halloween was one of my favorite times of the year. I mean, I love the fall. I love the smells. I love the little crisp, cool air, you know, out there. Of course, living in Montana now, I wish it was a little warmer. But as a kid growing up in Reno, I just loved the, the fall temperatures, the falling leaves, you know, the 70 degrees, maybe 60 degree weather we had going on there. I just loved it. Of course, seeing everybody in their costumes, of course, candy. I was a chubby kid. I loved everything about Halloween. And that's why today's episode is going to be a little bit of a Halloween-themed episode where I have the one and only Butch Patrick on the show today. And, of course, he played Eddie Munster in the 60s comedy The Munsters. I won't. I'm going to stay up here till I croak because nobody loves me. Nobody cares. Oh, Eddie, we all love you. We love you from the bottom of your little hoofs to the top of your little pointed ears. <laughs> but Pop likes Boris better. I saw him reading him stories and stuff. So if you were just like me, we of course watched it during the reruns in the 80s, but I was glued to the TV as a kid. I absolutely love The Monsters. I still think it's an excellent show. It still really holds up till today. So I, that's why I'm so excited that he's on the podcast to talk about being Eddie Munster, the rest of the cast. Of course, we also talk about The Phantom Tollbooth, where he played Milo in the animated feature from 1970. But of course, before I play the interview, please check us out online. It's SaturdayMorningRewind.com. And like I announced last episode, I just started a second YouTube channel, more of a vlogging style, so you're going to see me in every single one of the videos. So please go subscribe to that channel right now. The channel name is That80sKid-Tim Nidell, but of course I have the link on the website. Just go to SaturdayMorningRewind.com. You'll see the little YouTube link on the top right or also in the middle of the page. It'll take you to a page where you can choose either one, either the Saturday Morning Rewind official YouTube page or this new vlog style. So please go and subscribe to both of those right there. You won't regret it. I think you're really going to like both of them. I also want to give a quick shout out to our Patreon supporters for the month of October. So once again, thank you, Jared Tolbert, Mike Clemens, Erica Palello, Caitlin O'Color for One, Gemma Bright, Tori Garvin, Jeff Peterson, Q Fortier, and of course, your name can be on there as well. If you want to help us out, donations start at only two bucks a month. Of course, just go to our donation tab on the website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. Once again, it was an honor and privilege to have Butch Patrick on the show. Huge fan of his work. And of course, as he mentions in our interview, you can go to his website. It's Munsters.com. Pretty simple enough. Just check out Munsters.com to check out what he's currently doing. You can, of course, you buy his book that we talk about in the interview. And right now, I'm looking on the website right now 
you can buy this really cool limited edition handmade Wolf Wolf doll, just like he had in the series. Looks like it's a pre-order right now, so I think this is gonna sell out. It's pretty, pretty sweet. So Munsters.com. But without further ado, here is my interview with Butch Patrick. I am a huge, huge fan of the Munsters. Cool. Cool. Well, I've, it's been a it's been a pretty popular show over the years, and we always have a really nice response from people when we go out on the road. So I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I, I can remember. I, of course, I ran. I, I ran into it during the reruns. You know, in the early '80s. Yeah, of course. And um, I just remember sitting there with my dad, my mom, my brother, and we were just in awe of. You know, I think one of my favorite parts was the actual physical set. That was probably the best set I've ever seen on TV. Uh, well, yeah, you know, one of the things that the actual, um, when, you, when you hit on that, it's one of the things that I really attribute the success to is, like you said, the Universal Studios had the monster um, movies down to a science, and they took all that, all that technique and knowledge that they had and applied it to the monsters, and we were shot on film, and it was lit, and the set was designed, and it was dressed just like a classic monster movie from the late 30s and the early 40s, which I think lent itself to the quality of the over it, it set a tone for the whole quality of the show. Yeah. Now we mainly saw it in black and white up until the last. I think the movie was only the color, wasn't it? Everything else was Correct, black and white. Yeah. Whole, yeah. And so, what was it like seeing it in color? You know, in the first two seasons of the show, was was it really a huge difference? I particularly didn't care for it myself. Yeah. <laughs> I thought because of the old monster movies were done in black and white, I thought that was the proper genre to continue in. But what they did is the purpose of the Munster Go Home movie was to introduce the world to this to the show. Nobody, except for the United States, nobody knew who the Munsters were. So when they were going to try to syndicate the show out, they had to have a movie to release worldwide that would educate people to what the Munsters were. Oh. And that was the Technicolor movie that went out. So that's kind of how that all came about. Okay, I never knew that. That makes sense. It does make sense. But yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. It just didn't have the same feel to it. You know, that It needed to be black and white. Well, and you know, you got to remember back then, color was brand new on television. So the fact that the, you know, all the black and white shows and then they, they switched over to color in 1966, right as we were going off the air, was the uh, was kind of like the, the turnover point. Mm-hmm. So being in color was also good, just introduce the world to the monsters as, as well. But the main thing was it was done as a, as a marketing tool. That's true. That's true. Now, how did you get involved in the monsters? I, I know that I've seen the pilot episode, and to be honest, it just—I don't think it would have worked. I don't think Eddie. I think Eddie was just too out of a character, you know. And you brought a lot of heart in your character when you came along. So, how did you get involved? Well, that—that that was. Um, I, I had started working when I was seven. The monsters came around when I was just turning eleven. So, I had done a year of the Real McCoys and a year of General Hospital. And I'd done a lot of guest starring roles in movies prior to that. So um, when they did the casting process, I was actually living in Illinois with my grandmother and going through the fifth grade. And they, um, Mary Grady, my agent, convinced them that when she found out that they were looking to replace the uh, the pilot uh, child, kid, Happy Derman, she convinced them to fly me out for a screen test. No interview, no nothing. Just go right from the airport to the studio and put on the suit and... And I met Yvonne DiCarlo, and we we rehearsed our lines, and we did a kitchen scene, I remember. And she was brought in to replace Joan Marshall, and mm-hmm. they changed the name from Phoebe to Lily. And Lily Munster and Yvonne DiCarlo was a movie star, which lent star power to the cast. Uh, not that Fred and Al weren't 
but they were basically TV guys from Car 54. Yeah. And, uh, and she was a major star. So that really, I think, was what the key was. And the fact that they brought me in at the last minute gave Eddie a regular boy situation because they wanted a regular kid who happened to be a werewolf or a vampire or whatever you want to you know, choose. I was a werewolf. But they wanted a regular kid who uh, would act, you know, and they could have regular, you know, conversations with him and this and that. And, and the Happy Dermot interpretation was, you know, was, was edgy and dark and, and mean. It, it just didn't fit. Yeah, I agree. Tell me about the rest of the cast. I, I must say, I had a huge, huge crush on Lily when I was growing up. <laughs> yeah, she was a gorgeous woman, and you know we had we had two beautiful women in the show. You know, oh, the bear was, was gorgeous, and Yvonne DiCarlo was uh, was a very hot, uh, mature woman. It's, I mean, you know, I don't know what church she was in her early forties, but she was beautiful. You know, I mean, the, she was the original goth mom. Her and I guess Carolyn Jones, you know, from Morticia. But Morticia and the Morticia character was more of a, uh, you know, it was it was more of a one-dimensional thing where Yvonne actually, you know, cleaned and cooked and ran the household like a typical mother. Like yeah. it, it was it was done by the people that did Leave It to Beaver. So a lot of the scripts and a lot of the storylines were very similar. And instead of, for instance, she had the same duties as as uh, Barbara Billingsley. Uh, would have, except instead of wearing pearls, you know, a pearl necklace in the kitchen, she was wearing a bat necklace. <laughs> you know, I just found out about, I think it was maybe 15 years ago, that my dad's best friend growing up, he was actually um, Yvonne's uh, driver the later years of her life. And oh, so, really? Yeah, he, he told me so many great stories, how nice she was and everything, so... Yeah, she was. We I reconnected with her. We did a Vicki Lawrence show, and I was a surprise guest. And at that time, it was probably maybe, let me see, she passed away 11 years ago. So it would probably have been in the late 90s. Okay. And that is uh, the mid-90s, maybe, and we started connecting and, we, and becoming friends, and I would go visit her, and I went up to the Palma. I introduced her to a friend uh, who was a huge fan of The Big Shot in Hollywood, who then took over because I moved away and he would go up and visit her and send her care packages of, of movies to watch and books to read and just, you know, and just let her know that she hadn't been forgotten. And that was wonderful. Now, looking back, as I'm thinking about it right now, I think since you were so young on the Munsters, I think one of the best parts about being on the show would be at the Universal lot itself because that just would have been amazing. Well, that's what I tell people when I finished my book. Uh, it was called Munster Memories, and it was based on people uh, who had fond memories of the show, like yourself, watching it with your family and, this yeah. and that, your parents, your grandparents. But when it came to finishing up the book, they asked me for my favorite memory. And I said, you know, i got to tell you, I go, the Munsters was my job. And uh -huh. that was, you know, it was great to go to work, but my favorite memory is when I had a couple hours to kill that I would be able to go explore <laughs> Universal Studios yes. and go, you know, what, see whatever soundstage builds were starting up and what movie was going to be in there and seeing Charlton Heston walking down the street with his <laughs> wow. Mo Howard haircut like, like El Cid or <laughs> see Alfred Hitchcock swing by. I mean, that was the real deal was to go up to the Westerns and see my, my uh, uncle used to supply horses and, uh, and, uh, and the Western props. So I'd go to the Virginian set or the Wagon Train set or go out and see uh, uh, Tim Conway and uh, Ernest Borgnine at the Lagoon for uh, McHale's Navy. <laughs> that was my fun. That was, that was, those were the memories that I enjoyed, going over to the, the Phantom of the Opera soundstage by myself and getting up into the sixth floor catwalks you know, on, up in the ceiling because it was the largest soundstage in Hollywood. Uh -huh. It was awesome. Did you get into any trouble doing that at all? No, no, I was pretty. I was pretty astute at, uh, at getting it, you know, getting in and getting out. I knew how to go on sound stages without, you know, 
disrupting the shoot or making noise <laughs> and everybody knew I was supposed to be there because obviously I'm in the makeup. Really like my own private playground and you know, that's what little kids like to do or not well, I'm not a little kid, I'm twelve years old. But you know, boys like to go exploring. And oh, that yeah. was the greatest place to explore in the world. Oh God, I'm so jealous of that. Tell me more about your book. I first of all I, I love the name. Munster Memories, a coffin table book. That's such a great name. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's you know, the the hardcover sold out immediately. We only did a hundred of them. I had a I had a coordinated way. It came out September twenty fourth of two thousand fourteen, which was fifty years to the day we mm-hmm. we premiered. I've now gone into the paperback version, which is actually a more affordable way. We we bring them with us. We sell them. People love them. Uh, it's a really good read. It's a combination of the monster memories from fans. Uh, I interviewed people who were on the show. I've got stories from Bill Mooney. I got I got stories from Larry Tamlin of the Standells. From, Far out Munster. I got stories from George Barris, Mike Westmore, the Mike Makeup Man, wow. and so on and so on. And then I also cover the super collectors and all the toys and merchandise that people uh, love to collect. So it's a combination of my, my input, fans' inputs, participants' inputs, and then super collectors. Nice. And I, I think I saw it's available now in uh, paperback, right? On, on Amazon? It, it, it's on Amazon, or if you want the autographed version, you can get it at Munsters.com. Okay, so I'll put a link on our, our site there so people can check that out as well. Please do. Speaking of merch, did you keep anything from the show yourself? Any props, Any anything from the show, or did you get anything afterwards? When I left the show, I didn't have anything from the show. I wasn't, you know, I never collected anything. My scripts, as the, as the week progressed, I ripped the pages out as we finished the uh. theme. So my, at the end of the week, my scripts were just basically the cover in the back, <laughs> and I threw it away. Um, but when I was out doing an Ironside, I was 18 years old doing an Ironside, and Ed, uh, Eddie Keys, who was our prop man, who, had, believe it or not, he was still working at 92 years old, he came out and he, and he saw me, and I go, oh, my God, Eddie, how you doing? And he says, great. He goes, this is, don't go anywhere. I want you to put this in the trunk of your car and take it home with you. And it was the Wolf Wolf doll. So oh, then man. my mom found a Eddie Munster's suit that she had stashed in her hope chest that I guess I had brought home for somebody to use for Halloween uh, during, the, during the run, and it never made it back. I had four suits, so nobody really missed it. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Western Costume, and I found a few more of the suits over the years, mm-hmm. and I basically put them, I found them, and I would put them up for auction. Um, but it was one of those deals to where, um, no, I never really brought things home, and when I did bring things home, I gave them away. Nice. So another thing I want to talk to you about was another great animated film that I loved as a kid because I loved the book Phantom Tollbooth. Mm-hmm. And you actually went behind the mic and voiced. Was this your first time ever doing voiceover? Uh, good question. Uh, we, 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 would, we would have to do looping uh, for some of the exterior yeah. shots uh, when there would be so much noise. You'd have to you know redo your own lines. But as far as voiceover work, for uh, I believe that probably was probably yeah. the Phantom Tour, but there was live action in the beginning. You know, we we actually filmed first go, and then we went into. Uh, it took two years to do this. Every three or four months, they would call me up, and I would go in and do some more voiceover work for them. And then they would draw some more cartoons, and I'd come in and do some more voiceover mm-hmm. work for them. So about a two-year period, I had the, I had the luxury of working with all the great voiceover artists in Hollywood and Chuck Jones, you know, yeah. the master himself. Yeah, tell me about Chuck. What was Chuck like? Chuck was great. I mean, he was like, you know, what, what a what a wonderful guy. And I, you know, I was, I just got, I just loved him. And he was so talented. Funny, my my of all the things that I've, you know, received over the years, I'm looking at right now on my wall is I have a Roadrunner sketch that he did that uh, is framed that the uh, 
uh, Centers for Creativity, his uh, the, his family's art school, uh, so man, and he framed it for me because I kept it. And what happened was I, went, I asked him how long it took him to draw a roadrunner. And he asked me to go get him a cup of coffee. And when I came back, he handed it to me. <laughs> and it says to Butch from the Phantom Roadrunner, you know, meaning the Phantom Tollbooth. Oh, wow. And it's a, it's a one of the key just because of the inscription is, is the way he did it. Yeah. And it's like possession. I also have a nice cell that they gave me. Two cells in one big frame from the Phantom Tollbooth as well. So I have, I have a very nice uh, wall for uh, for Chuck. And like you said, a lot of the greats in animation of voiceover there, there was Mel Blanc, Dawes Butler, June Ferre, Hans Conried. Did you work with yeah. each of those in the booth? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. We, we, I worked uh, directly uh, with, uh, with uh, Dawes Butler and uh, June and and, uh, and Mel as well. It was funny, my wife, you know, when we were up in, uh, I, I don't know, I think it was Massachusetts or Connecticut uh, last year, I believe it was, she sought out and found uh, Norman Juster's uh, family, wife, and mm-hmm. spoke to her. And we went up, we went up and saw him and met him and had pictures taken. It was it was an awesome couple hours. He was a very nice gentleman. And uh, he's, been, he's been doing some book signings and this and that because I guess it was the 50th anniversary of the, of the book not too long ago. Ah. Wow. So that was great. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So tell me what you're up to nowadays. Well, um, I'm sitting here in my house that my grandmother used to own that I lived in in the eighth grade in 1967. Um, I got married uh, it'll be two years in September, September 10th. My wife, Leela, she does the bookings and the, the marketing and the media for me now, so she's kept me really busy and we're booked solidly through 18 and into 19. Oh. I own a Munster Coach and Dragon tribute vehicle where we tour, do personal appearances, especially automotive-related things, although we still do the Comic-Con circuit occasionally. Uh, I'm working with a, a gentleman who's got a new show in pre-production called Toy Scout, and he goes around the country and seeks out and finds classic old toys for not only celebrities, but uh, for collectors, uh. and he's got a huge collection himself, so he I'm going to be his uh, his sidekick so, somewhat in, in every episode. There'll uh. be a segment that I'll be in. And um uh, Doing a few other things, but yeah, that's pretty much it. A lot of traveling. Yeah, sounds like. Whatever happened to property horrors? Never happened. Oh it's man! The right now, I never worked out. Um, this, there wasn't any interest, so I'm selling the house to a really nice woman out of Miami who is a book writer and an artist, and she's going to turn the house into a writers and artist retreat for paranormal entities. So the house, even though it didn't turn out to be a property horror TV show. It still will be restored, and it will be open to people who would like to come visit her. And I'll drop in occasionally here uh, town and possibly do an event or two just to keep uh, the interest alive for the house. Yeah, that's a shame because when I was, when I was reading about it, I was so interested in that show. It sounds amazing. I was surprised myself that, that nobody was. When I bought the house, I thought for sure it would, it would quickly turn into something because of the parent. It's a very active house. It's a very cool house, and the town's wonderful. But, you know, Hollywood's a fickle place. I mean, they, yeah. they, they tried to do remakes of the Munsters three or four times, but they didn't fly at all. And, and you would think with Mark, uh, uh, excuse me, Brian Singer and Brian Fuller as director and writer, wow. successful Hollywood types of $10 million <laughs> spent, you thought, you'd think Mockingbird Lane would have flew with the, with the stellar cast they put together. Yep, I agree. Yeah. So, so your house is still haunted, then, the one you're living in now? Absolutely. What kind of stuff happens there? Uh, we give stuff on our security cameras at night and uh, noises and giggling. And when we're not here, we have people come by to keep an eye on it. And it's pretty much the town knows it's it's pretty much standard knowledge that the house is haunted. 
it's everybody seems to know about it and we've uh we've had a lot of orbs and we picked up a lot of faces and this and that on, on cameras and on walls and floors just a lot of activity it's, it's built in a vortex oh, wow. and we've had professional ghost people come in and always walk away with a lot of uh a lot of uh, uh, information to take home. A lot of activity. Wow. <laughs> well, all right, Butch. Was there anything else you wanted to promote? Anything else? Your website or? Well, yeah. Uh, we you know, join, have people join the official Munsters fan group. Go to Munsters.com. Uh, our schedule is listed. The store is there with all the merchandise. We have a lot of great things. And uh, uh, keep an eye out for us. We travel the country extensively, so there's a very good chance you're going to see us. Uh, if you keep your... Uh, if you keep your eyes open and keep an eye out, we'll probably be coming through your neck of the woods. Sweet. And thanks so much for your time again. Like I said, a huge, huge fan of the show, huge fan of your career. So thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Tim. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to that Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.